0: Well, good morning again, everybody. <clears throat> Glad that you're able to join us this morning. And as we come this morning, we begin Advent, a different season within the church. We finished up our little mini-series of Keeping in Step with the Spirit last week. But now as we go into Advent, you know, it is a season of preparation. It's a season of celebration as we prepare and wait uh, for the arrival of Jesus. Uh, we take this time every year to celebrate His incarnation. For those Latin scholars out there, the word Advent comes from Adventus, which of course means arrival. All my students are smiling so well. Hint, hint, by the way. The coming of the Messiah was something that was looked forward to intently by the Israelites. It's something that they yearned for. They had a hope, a passion, a drive for the coming Messiah to free them from oppression, to free them from bondage. Obviously, they felt very strongly um, in the temporal sense of this. But as we talked about last week, um, in terms of hope through suffering, there's also an eternal perspective that comes with hope, that comes with waiting each week we come to church and we praise god we we lift up his name for with the hope that he will come soon in glory as brett had just prayed you know advent is a a seasonal preparation that happens every year it gives us a chance to reflect on the past present and future it's a time that's devoted to prayer reflection reading through the birth narratives or through the Gospel of Luke during the month of December. We have such anticipation and hope and joy at the love of God that is expressed through this season. And as we come to another Advent season, I'm always excited to see how God will move, how he will lead us um, in different portions of Scripture to be able to see his consistency throughout all of the Bible on a variety of subjects. This year, we will still have four different themes that we're going to talk over, but we're going to look at them through one passage. Obviously, being more topical, we'll cover other scriptures each week that go over those topics. But, you know, I think that it's going to be an exciting time this year, especially as we've been studying heavily about what it means to walk in the Spirit, improving that relationship with the Father, growing our understanding and connection making it deeper in terms of the relationship that we have with Him through the Spirit. Again, last week we talked about hope, how to walk in hope amid suffering, something that I think is very practical for us as believers to be strengthened in. So this morning, um, for this first week of Advent, I wanted to continue on this topic of hope, adding in the understanding of trust. I know how many times those words can be lumped together as we use them, but according, back, or according to Webster back in the early 1800s, he defines hope this way. Hope, as a noun, is a desire of some good accompanied with at least a slight expectation of, atta- of, of obtaining it. He says that it is different from a wish or a desire and that it implies some expectation of obtaining the good desired or at least the possibility of possessing it. Hope, therefore, always gives pleasure or joy, whereas wish and desire may produce or be accompanied with pain and anxiety. I thought that was a pretty good outlook and a definition in terms of the differences between wish, desire, and hope. And of course, if you look to this past weekend in the football season, I'm not sure which one of them you were feeling at those moments, depending on the game that you were watching. But oftentimes, we do have these types of desires, wishes, or hopes in our life, and they can be interchanged. So many times we lump these terms together. Hope can also mean to have confidence in a future event, an opinion or belief not amounting to certainty, but grounded on substantial evidence. I thought that was a very key distinction because trust will have a lot more certainty in it. This is how he defines trust. Trust is confidence, a reliance or resting of the mind on the integrity, veracity, justice, friendship or other sound principle of another person. He or that which is the ground of confidence. And he continues on for 12 more entries, all dealing with confidence. So this term, trust, exudes that confidence. And when you mix that in with the things that are hoped for and our understandings of these as a believer, when we tie this into the person of Jesus, when we tie this into the promises of God, our faith is pretty reliable. It's unshakable. So for this Advent season, we're going to be diving deeper into some of these topics. And we're going to be looking in the book of Isaiah chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in there. Uh, we will be moving around Isaiah for some context this morning, so you want to keep them open. Um, I also did not give a PowerPoint this morning because I just wanted to be nice to Shay. Isaiah chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Father, as we open up this Advent season, I pray that you would help our hearts and minds reflect On your coming, on your advent, Lord. Ultimately, your plan of salvation and everything that that entails. I pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, chapter 12 is kind of a unique chapter within the the early parts of Isaiah. It's written in the form of a song, it's very symmetrical. You see in verse one, a repetition back down into verse four, and how it's repeating what is being said. And then you have two verses within um, for each little stanza there. And you look at how it begins it says, You will say in that day. Well, as a student of the word, you should ask the question, Which day? Which day is being referenced to? Because day in the Old Testament oftentimes talks about the day of judgment or a day of fulfillment. Um, It always looks towards somewhere in the future. So as we try to figure out the context of this, kind of look ahead or look back, sorry, to chapter 11 and get some of the immediate context. When you're studying, you always want to look a little bit what comes before and after. And... You know it might be it might have been a long time since you've read the book of isaiah but you might be familiar with a lot of the themes with a lot of the bigger chapters and this is uh the chapter in chapter 11 here that talks about the shoot and the root of jesse Um, unbeknownst to the readers of isaiah but who we believe to be jesus of nazareth of who he's talking about and in chapter 11 it describes his lineage his personality his stances on justice all being described And then as you look in verse 10, it says, in that day, the root of Jesse. So it's speaking of the coming Messiah who is also the root of the line of David. He will stand as a signal for the people, as a banner, as a standard. So you think of in war times, you had a banner or you had a flag bearer and people would rally around that person. So it's saying that You know, in that day, true Israel from all over the world will come to Jesus, and his resting place would be glorious. Now, some more context, if you turn back to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, it says, It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people, peoples shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the Lord, or sorry, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I keep reading here verses 4 and 5 as well. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, based on what's written here, based on the context in chapter 11, the day that is being referred to would be when the Messiah would reign as king. These chapters line up well with Romans chapter 11 that talks about the remnant of Israel. Um, So, what's being described is what we would be looking for in terms of the return of Christ. Now, based on what we see here in the day that's being talked about in verse 1 of chapter 12, we have this understanding in the context of Jesus' future coming. Now, we have to remember also that the Israelites are simply just focused on the Messiah coming to be their king. They missed the suffering servant. They missed the incarnation and the humble beginnings of Jesus as a baby. Their hope was in a king, not in a prophet who died. Now, again, they're not too far off because they're envisioning the coming Christ to be the same that we're expecting for the second coming of God, but they missed those important parts of Scripture. Their hope was and continues to be for God to come in this way, as he is described through much of the Old Testament. In that day, they will give thanks to God, for he is their salvation. Now, I'll hit most of verse one a little bit harder in the coming weeks, but I do want to make one point as we go go into this. I want to make note of how people will acknowledge the Lord was angry with them. In that day, they will acknowledge that. What this points the reader to is sin and failure in the lives of the Israelites. This verse creates a need for a savior, a need for the hope to be in the Lord. If your hope is in just the reign of the Messiah, then you would respond similarly to how the Israelites do throughout uh, their treatment of Jesus. But if you understand the separation that you have from God because of sin, your thanks, your praise is completely different. You understand hope in a different way. I think that we can see this, especially in our American culture, where we can provide many things for ourselves making our faith sometimes superficial. You know, if everything is fine, if I can provide everything I need, what do I really need the Lord for? I'll just wait for heaven and just get my ticket that way. You know, it's not a true understanding of the separation of sin. As we've talked about, it's not having that repentant heart from sin. But Isaiah recognizes the separation between him and the Lord. And he is conveying that to the people here, that you will think this way in the future. It's an approach that as we look back to Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah is in the throne room before God, he knows that separation as he is on his face before God. But he is alluding to how they will praise God in the future. My main focus for today is in verse 2. Where do we put our hope? And our trust. Do you contemplate this often? I mean, we're in church. We're at the start of Advent season. We're among believers. So generally, we're going to say our hope and our trust is in God, right? But what happens when we leave? What happens during the week? What's actually lived out in our lives? Is our hope really in God or is it in ourselves? You know, how are we living? So many times we think of hope, we think of Advent, and we think of how God covers this one big thing, salvation. We're good for that. But can we use that hope in our normal lives, in our Christian lives, as we're walking with the Spirit? You know, when things become individualistic, when things become temporal, when things come right in front of your face, where is your hope located? Where is it found? When we're in our workplaces, when we're raising our kids, what do we turn to? Do we turn to the fact that we have job security? Our bank accounts? Our fridges that are full? The guns that we have? The fact that we live in America? Again, so many times we think of hope and trust as related to God, dealing only with that one big aspect of our life. And then we live in a different way. But as we've talk, been talking about, hope is something that we can carry with us all of our days. It can guide us, it can direct us in the ways that we're going because it keeps our eyes focused on Him, on His promises and who He is. As our hope is in God for salvation, this same hope can direct us in many ways. An example, well sometimes we we treat hope as just fulfilling our desires like I hope I win the lottery or I hope Nebraska finally beats Iowa or that team up North wouldn't win but you know when you think about hope that way you're hoping in something that's selfish when we think about hope in what God does He's not going to just give us what we want in, in our willy-nilly type of attitudes, but He gives us what we need. He provides what we need. And for the Israelites, what they missed is their need for a Savior. In our daily lives, what we miss many times is we put our own hopes, our own wills, our own things above God's will in our life. And whatever is temporal around us is what is guiding how we're living rather than living for Him. You know, as we dig deeper into this text, there's a couple of things here for the context that needs to carry over the next few weeks as well for us to kind of remember. As I've already mentioned this phrase, in that day, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into that because it would be an ambiguous phrase for the people hearing it. And I think it has a twofold purpose. First, it would foretell of the actual day that's being referred to, whatever day of fulfillment that might be. But being in the future tense the use of you-all-will-say is kind of a charge to the people that are listening to the message to make sure that their hope and trust was placed in the Lord because they would think that this is going to happen in their lifetime. Could it? Absolutely. We're not privy to the knowledge of God in that and when He is coming back. I mean, we talk about we talk in the exact same way when we talk about the Lord's coming back. Uh, his return to reign in the earth in this way. So people were to hope with this in mind, that it would be an imminent future, that it could happen at any time. The second thing contextually that we need to keep in mind is how the people were putting their trust either in God or in something else. Isaiah is speaking to the faithful that are in Judah. But there were many who were believing in other things. There were attacks coming around all sides of them. According to chapter seven, even their brothers in Israel were plotting attacks and joining forces with those in Syria. It says this in verses three and four. And Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear-Geshub, your son, at the beginning of the conduit of the upper pool, on the highway of Washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. So you can see some of the similarities of the charge to not be afraid in the face of the pressures, in the face of the attacks that are going to be surrounding them on all sides. Their trust is going to be tested. Their hope is going to be tested. So the statement of what the people will say in that day, the day of judgment in chapter 12, is consistent with what Isaiah is telling the people in chapter 7, presently. Past, present, future. The message of God stays the same. Hope in me, trust in me. I would say the same is true for us today, to continue to have our hope in the promises of God. We can be distracted by all the news and the negative things in our culture. But fear is not what is to be going around in our lives. Instead, we are to have hope in the salvation of God, not trusting in other things to overcome these situations that we face. As believers, our hope is in God. The promises of God guide us. We look to what he has done through past generations to bring us a strong assurance of what is to come. And I believe that hope can bring us contentment as we face these trials and hardships. To where, as things happen, they do not shake us. They do not um, make us quake. Instead, our resolve is firmly in the Lord. Now, as he gets into this song, I love how verse 2 starts because it is bold. It starts with, behold. This is an interjection. It's an attention getter. It's what the people of God would be declaring in the future. But what about now? What would it look like for us to go onto a street corner, into a busy shopping mall, and cry out boldly, Behold, God is my salvation. What kind of looks would you get? People probably think you're kind of crazy, huh? Do we even cry out like that in church? Or is that too Pentecostally? I mean, we live it, we, we believe it, right? Why don't we declare it? Because we're worried about what other people might think. We're declaring truth. This is the type of confidence that we have in God. where we really don't care what others think because he is our God, he is my savior. We declare our hope in front of others where we're confident of our salvation because of who God is and what he has done. And we recognize as believers the importance of sharing that. And as you do share it, you'll find that there are no shortage of other opinions, other thoughts, that people have concerning God, concerning heaven, concerning spirituality still it hasn't been topped yet. The best that I've run into was a guy in a mall that I was just out evangeliz- evangelizing with youth group at the time, and the guy in the mall, um, man, he said he had more proof that aliens came and planted seeds for life to begin here than God creating everything. He was raised in a Jewish home, spent some time in the Muslim faith until he finally made it to his scientific discoveries. He was a joy to talk to. But he is putting his his trust in those things. When we declare boldly what we're saying, we are drawing a line in the sand, saying this is the truth. And others are going to come up against us with what they believe is the truth. Things that they are being deceived by. Things that are designed to take their hearts and their minds away from Jesus as our Savior. The Bible talks very clearly about salvation. He is our strength. He is our song. And we need to boldly declare that to a lost generation. Behold, this is the truth. And he says that in that day, you will say, I will trust and not be afraid. So we see how in that day, fears would subside. And again, within context, the fears that the people would be going through is exile, surrounding nations coming to attack to conquer them, to decimate them, to eventually destroy the temple. That is what they are going through in the present time. But remember back in chapter 7 when he tells the king, do not fear, do not be afraid, do not let your heart grow faint. And as Isaiah is speaking this song in chapter 12, he again is referring to the Messiah and his reign in the future and how all fears would be eliminated. See, Israel would still have to go through the hard times. But he is giving them hope for both the present and the future. This type of hope would encourage them, it would build them up, reviving the trust that they have in God to put him first in the middle of the turmoil, in the middle of the battles, in the middle of the exile that they would face. It's kind of like what we talked about last week with Romans 8 continuing to have hope through times of trial and suffering. And, you know, we've talked about fear before, how it is a wonderfully tragic tool of the enemy. Fears take our eyes off of God and instead place them on the things and the situations that are in front of us. It causes our confidence to be shaken. Hardships and trials that come our way test our obedience, test our hope, test our faith. Is it firmly rooted in Christ? Or are there areas where we're not yet trusting? Are there areas where we're not giving ourselves over to the Lord, but we're hiding on to secret sins? or hiding on to these times of anxiety and fear, and we're not fully trusting that the Lord has this, that the Lord can give us strength? You know, you're stuck in your sin patterns, and you think, I have no hope. I'm anxious all the time. I'm fearful all the time. Remember the words of the Bible. His mercies are new every day. He gives us strength, like on the the wings of, of eagles, as it says in Isaiah 40. But many times, we can fall back into the ruts of fear. But you know, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but rather of power and strength. Our hope and our trust is to be placed in God and we need to rest in that understanding. Things happen in life. Knocks us on our butt for sure. Makes it hard to live with a peace that is above all understanding. But when it comes to the present hope in the world, we have to trust in the Lord. I can't think of a better statistic than looking at depression and suicide rates within our nation. You begin to look at some of these staggering rates and you realize that the world is living like there is no hope and many people just want to check out, whether permanently or medically. The world is full of darkness. But God is our constant beacon of truth and life. Our hope is in God and Christ is in us the light of God is in us and we are sent into the darkness of this world. Much like the star that was um, there in Bethlehem to guide the shepherds to show of Jesus' incarnation. With light in us, we too can guide the hopeless that are around us to the true source of hope in Jesus. Following the same patterns that we see all over the Bible, the authors and the prophets calling people to remember what God has done. Has he been faithful to his word in the past? If so, have trust in the confident and confidence that he will fulfill the promises that he has made for the future. Hope for it. Have a strong desire for his will to be lived out in your life. You know, as you have hope, we share that hope and confidence with those around us as we are loving others, as we are fulfilling the Great Commission. We give them the answer for the hope that is in us. We need to be ready to boldly declare what that is. Having the words of God on our mouth. We come into this Advent season and it could be very easy for us to focus on the turmoil that is around us. Whether that's the high-profile court cases, the vaccine mandates, the new strains the failing economy, the rising inflation, the illnesses, the downward spiral of our culture, and any number of things. We can let those things run our minds. Or we can reflect on the hope of the world that came in the form of a baby who grew up in wisdom and stature, desiring to do the will of God, who gave up his life as a sacrifice, paying for our sins, who returned to the Father and is seated at the right hand, We know full well that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, to establish his never-ending kingdom. Our confidence is in God and who he is. He is our strength. He is our song. He is our salvation, and he has become our salvation. As you notice, those verb tense changes. It's similar to how we say that we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. He has every aspect of it covered. We are saved, you know, when we think about what we are saved from in terms of our sins and this fallen world and what we are saved unto in terms of holiness and glorification. We hope expectantly for His return each and every day, but we focus in on it during this Advent season. Let's pray. Father, as we... Begin this journey. I just pray that you would continue to mold and shape our hearts and minds, being conformed to the image of your Son, that you would renew our minds with the truth of your word, helping us daily to throw off the anxieties and fears, to have the armor of God ready as the enemy tries to use so many things against us. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to live lives that are hopeful lives that exude your peace, that exude trust and confidence in who you are as our Savior. And we, we long to give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Will you please stand for our last song? Divine, all love's excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded love, thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. Breathe, O breathe thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all in thee inherit, let us find the promised rest. Take away the love of sinning, Alpha and Omega be. End of faith as its beginning, Set our hearts at liberty. Finish then thy new creation, Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation Perfectly restored in thee Change from glory into glory Till in heaven we take our place Till we cast our crowns before thee Lost in wonder, love, and praise